That's a beautiful choir. Thank you very much. We are in 1 Corinthians 13 today, if you'd care to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Identity. Uh, what a polarizing, lightning rod kind of topic. Why are we talking about identity? Uh, because our world is confused about identity. And it needs to hear what the one who created us thinks about identity. Uh, and, and if the church doesn't speak to that, nobody's going to speak for that. Okay, It's just our responsibility as the people of God. Now, our world thinks identity is all about all kinds of different things. Our world thinks it's about the awards that we win. Our world thinks... It's about the color of our skin. Our world thinks it's about politics and who we align with. Our world thinks it's about the places we've traveled. Our world thinks it's about the education that we have or don't have. A lot of people take identity in whether they have one of these on their finger or not in some way or another. Uh, But identity is about way, way more than this stuff. We've defined identity simply, admittedly simply, as a person's sense of self and worth. Uh, Okay, fair enough. But who determines that? That's the real question, isn't it? Where does that come from? Our society says that it comes from within us and that it is ours to determine that we can be whoever and whatever we choose to the point that many around us are on journeys to supposedly discover who or what they really are. In fact, can I say it is becoming more and more the norm for people in authority to encourage even very young children to begin experimenting, investigating who or what they would like to be. They may not know yet how to read or tie their shoes, but they should be able to choose something as important as identity. Uh, If that sounds dangerous to you or even abusive, it should. Okay, it should. At the same time, though, we can be relieved to know that there is another option. Uh, the, The God world maintains That identity is not something we determine from within, but rather identity is something that is given us by God who made us. Uh, He says quite a lot about it, in fact, in his word to us, including the the six foundational truths from Genesis 1. Now, I know I'm repeating these a lot. I said these for four weeks now. But grasping this list is very important to knowing really who we are. Okay, All of us humans... I'm talking to you humans. All of us humans are, number one, we are made by God in his own image. Number two, we are of tremendous value. Number three, we are ranked above the rest of creation. Number four, we are made either male or female. Number five, we are intended to grow and develop and even lead the rest of creation. And number six, we are very good. That is human identity. 
who God made us to be. However, because nearly from the beginning, when we exercised our image of God in this idea of free will, and we did something that was contrary to God's best, we are now also, number seven, broken because of sin. And the only cure for that brokenness was for God himself to offer the life of Jesus, his own sinless son, in exchange for our lives. That's why Jesus died on a cross on Good Friday, 2,000 plus years ago, to pay a debt for us that we could not pay, so that we might be redeemed and restored to relationship with God the Father as we will trust and give our lives to his son Jesus. That is the gospel, good news, in a nutshell. We were made good in God's image. We are worth much more than the rest of creation. We are broken by sin, and yet we are redeemable if we will live in Jesus. That's who God says we are. You are. I am. Every human being is. Now, of that list of seven, it's the fifth one of those that I'd like to talk a little more about today. The one that says part of our identity is growing and developing. We are made to grow. We are made to change. We are made to develop. (laughs) I will tell you that two reasons that I did so poorly academically in college had to do with two classes. One of them was called statics. The other one was called dynamics. They're physics classes. And they're designed to measure and describe the behavior of things that are sitting still, that's statics, and things that are in motion, that is dynamics. Now, it's pretty simple to me. I mean, if a thing is not moving, then it's sitting still. It's static. And if a thing is not sitting still, then it's moving. It's dynamic. That's pretty simple. You know, I thought, that's pretty simple. So when I'd get a test question like, how fast is an object that is this big and weighs this much moving through this sort of atmosphere, how fast is that object going? I would write the answer, well, pretty fast. (laughs) You know, but as you might guess, that wasn't good enough for the professor. Uh, They wanted answers that involved actual math. And that's where good grades and I parted company in college. The point is, The difference exists. God made certain things to be static and other things to be dynamic. And where rocks and dirt and things like that are in the static group, we the people are in the dynamic group. God made us to develop in all sorts of different ways. Growth and change are part of our identity. Now, that's not unique to humans, of course. Uh, Other living things do that too. Trees do that, flowers, birds, animals. If a thing is living, then it is somehow changing and moving and growing. Now here is, to me, uh, an intriguing metaphysical sort of thought. Before the fall, before sin entered our world, growth and change was all toward the positive Before the fall, change always made us more and more alive and complete. But now, 
because our world now bears the burden of sin, we do still grow and change and develop and even positively for, for in some ways and for a time. But then after a time, parts of us begin to change for the negative, don't they? The body, uh, the mind... For years, those parts change and grow positively. We get bigger, we get taller, we get stronger. Hopefully, we get smarter. Um, But then at some point, those parts kind of take a turn. And they begin to diminish. And yet, our souls, the, the, the spirit within us, at least for those of Jesus, our soul is the one part that keeps changing positively. Our trust in the Lord, our relationship with him, our faith to to see him keeps moving forward. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being, what? Renewed day by day. That was Paul's personal testimony. And any follower of Jesus can share in that. Though the body suffers, the spirit can still soar, you know? That is one part of our person that can still grow as God made it to grow. Because that is the part that's most closely tied with God and with eternity. Now, the mind and body are too. Scripture says our bodies will be resurrected, recreated, just as Jesus' body was. A new body is somehow given to us. Our bodies are holy. They were made to be. But it's the soul, it's the spirit that most closely links us with the Lord, which is why, it seems to me, it is able to keep moving forward even when the rest of us begins to move backward. Um, but the notion, uh, the, the motion, the, uh, the movement, the growth, the change, uh, we were made to do that. We were made to do that. And this passage that James read for us gives us a for instance of growth and change. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, most of us hear that more than any other place at weddings. But let me tell you, the atmosphere in the Corinthian church was not the atmosphere of a wedding, okay? Um, One of the big problems in the church at Corinth had to do with some members' arrogance with regard to spiritual gifts. Some believers there thought themselves superior because of the specific gift that they possessed. The reality is that they they really took their identity in their gift. They built their personhood, they built their worth upon their gifts, which is bad enough. But then they used the gifts and abilities that God had given them to beat down the others. And that's even worse. Paul mentions the specific gifts of the offenders. Prophecy, knowledge, and tongues. Which, honestly, those have been the usual suspects. To be abused by the church through the ages. But the greater point Paul makes here really applies to all spiritual gifts. And that is the gifts of the spirit are transient. Spiritual gifts, great as they are, only apply to this present age. And so their value is limited. Now, yes, they are to be used here. Yes, 
They are from God himself. Yes, they are very, very important. But see, the day is coming when spiritual gifts will be of no use at all. In eternity, they will not be because they'll not be needed. Because in in eternity, Jesus and his spirit will be with us in fullness and we will be with him and in him. So we will not need these smaller individual manifestations of his power. And so Paul is saying to this church that was so conflicted over gifts, Paul is saying how senseless it is to take your identity in something that is passing away. And how reprehensible it is to use those things to diminish and abuse your brothers and sisters. How much wiser to hold loosely to the things of earth. Even things so valuable as the gifts of God's spirit. Because even those are changing, you see. Even those come and go in our world. And we who wield them, we need to change our perspective about their eternal value. And to illustrate his point, Paul uses this image of a child growing up. He says in verse 11 there, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. You see, to become mature means growing up in our understanding, our perspective, our values, our treatment of others, and our responsibilities. God expects us to grow up. We were made to grow up. Now, Paul doesn't say that to to insult those who were there in error in, in Corinth. He points all this out to help them mature in their faith. And to help them see the way God made them to see. And and to think about things and even spiritual gifts. The way God made them to think about those things. So that they could actually grow into the people God intends them to be. God made us to grow. He made us to develop. He made us to change. He made us to mature. There's always room to advance. There's always improvement possible. Maybe not in our body, but certainly in our spirit and our soul. How do we go about that? How do we go about growing, improving, maturing? Well, first, we have to believe it's possible. And that is one place that people get stuck. I don't know how many people I've heard say, well, that's just the way I am. That's arrogant nonsense. Can you hear me? That is arrogant nonsense. We are dynamic people. We were made to change and grow. And God is superintending that process in us. God is about making us holy. He will purify us if we will let him. How can we participate in that? Well, one way Paul tells the Corinthians in his second letter is for us to concentrate To fix our attention, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, Paul says, but what is unseen is eternal. Don't worry so much about the things of earth. Don't let that which is immediately about you consume you. Specifically here, don't be ruled by, don't take as your identity, even something as important as the gifts of God's spirit. 
Because all of that, even God's gifts, all of it's passing away. Paul says, instead, let yourself be ruled by that which is eternal. And he spells it out here. He actually begins and ends the passage with it. You know where he's going. What's eternal? What never fails? Paul tells us in verse 8, love. Never fails. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will be silenced. Knowledge passes away. When completeness comes, all of that disappears. What remains? Paul says faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, the one above those, all three, the greatest is love. You see, this life of love, that's where God is taking all who will go with him. God is love. He's taking us to himself. We, we were made for so much more than we are today. We were made to grow, to become complete and mature and whole, to become all that God intended for us to be from the very beginning. To do that, there are changes that have to happen within us. God will make them. We don't have to figure out what they are. God will make them. But we can make the process so much easier if we will work with him and not against him. So we can welcome him. We can welcome the work of his spirit to do whatever he needs to do to grow us up. To change our perspectives. To to develop our character. To purify our motive. to, To move us to love. We can work with God to do that. This is the very thing that God was using Paul to do for the believers at Corinth. And, and, and God is still doing that today. Even here. In this place. Even as we come to his table today. God is still about that. So don't resist the voice of God. Don't, don't think for a minute that when he asks uh, something hard of you, or, or he, try, he says something that is hard to hear, don't think for a minute that he's punishing you. No, he's simply trying to grow in us all those things that matter for eternity. He's stripping us of the arrogance that earthly thinking promotes. And he's building into us that which lasts forever. Faith, hope, and, and more than anything else, love. Will you let him do that? Uh, Will you invite him to do that? Uh, To to change you? Will you get excited about the possibility of him doing that? To change you, however he'd like, into the very image of Jesus. Father, we do open ourselves to you to change us in whatever way you'd like, And to even do that here and now. Uh, Help us to to give ourselves to you. As as Christ gave himself for us. Completely. Holy. Father teach us what it means to give ourselves wholly to you. To even give our identities to you. So that you can make us what you intend for us to be. May that be the prayer of our hearts as we come to your table, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.